Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Union Chapel this morning. It's July, July the 5th. We're so grateful to be with you. Thank you for joining us. Very excited to have you in worship today. We are completing this series on the fruit of the Spirit this week, and we know that it's been meaningful to you and a blessing. I trust that it has. And so today we want to talk about meekness and self-control. I just want to mention that next week, July 11 and 12, that weekend, we will reopen Union Chapel on our campus. And so Saturday night at 5.30, we will have a service and then two services on Sunday morning, 10 o'clock and 11.30. All the, all the guidelines and answers to your frequently asked questions are online, so I hope that you'll go there, refresh yourself so that you'll be prepared to join us on campus next weekend. Of course, we'll be online as well, and so if you're still not comfortable coming on campus, that's perfectly understandable, and we will continue to do the same kind of production that we've been doing online as well, so we've got everyone covered that way, but look forward to seeing your faces, some of your faces next week. All right, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn finally to Galatians chapter 5, and once again, consider the fruit of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul, as he wrote the church at Galatia, and here we find this wonderful list of nine fruit of the Spirit. I'll begin reading from verse 22, and if you have your Bibles, you can see that, and of course, we'll project the words. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. May God inspire us through his word and encourage us today. Thank you so much. In 1945, just uh, at the end of World War II, Bron Clifford, Bron Clifford, this is probably not a name that any of you recognize. He was the up-and-coming evangelist, America's preacher, if you will, post-World War II. He was introduced to the student body at Baylor University by then-President Pat Neff. He introduced him as, quote, the greatest preacher in America. Lofty, lofty terms, right? The greatest preacher. He's the goat in America at this point. And he was excellent. He had command of the language. And he had command of the message. And he was very, very impressive. Now note, only a few years later, Bron Clifford was dying of cirrhosis of the liver in a cheap Amarillo, Texas hotel room. A completely lost, shattered, and broken shell of a human being. How many times have we seen this? Great people, both of the world and within the church, dropped to despair and ruin because they were not able to bring some appetite of the flesh, some longing, some pride to the place of the cross and allow God to put it to death. How frequently, how often have we seen it? How many times have we seen talents corrupted and lives ruined simply because of a lack of self-control 
and meekness. Now we consider this subject, it's the last, but it is not least. It is critically important that we lean into a deep understanding of these two fruit of the Spirit, self-control and meekness. Much of the time we misinterpret the meaning of meekness, for example, we associate meekness with weakness. We uh, imagine some weak-kneed, spineless mush pot of a person who's full of compromise and cowardice. And we, we also misinterpret self-control. We often imply that self-control is some kind of imposition of discipline on my life that hinders my life. Uh, we see it as the walls and parameters around my life that, that restrict me and reduce me and keep me from my best or my fun. But Jesus said that these are the keys to the abundance of life, the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus did not come to limit our lives Think about this now, but to expand our lives. He didn't come to minimize our lives. He came to magnify our lives. He said that if you follow me, I will produce in you an abundant life that's super abundant in quantity and superior in quality. So, so the parameters around which Jesus places these virtues in our lives are to enhance our lives and benefit our lives. Think about Edgar Allan Poe, great master of the English lang language, lying face down, drunk in the gutters of Baltimore, Maryland until he died of exposure in his early 40s. Percy Shelley, some of you know that name, whose life was a monument to perversion and wickedness but could write the most beautiful poetry imaginable. Profound. Alfred Lord Byron, whose poor self-image and corrupt sexual practices destroyed him, but whose sensitivity in poetry and prose is celebrated in university campuses around the world. Listen to your pastor. Meekness and self-control are part of a universe of virtue that includes humility and discipline and modesty, all things that qualifies a person to lead a decent life godly and respectable life powerful virtues of god that can make a huge difference you've seen it as well people you know who are powerful in their brilliance powerful in their potential almost supernatural in the grandness of their capacity you've you've seen people like this just like i have sensitive beyond words who never learned the importance of discipline self-control and meekness and now their gifts lay squandered, having never come to full bloom, reaching full potential. One of the icons of, of history is, is an example of what I'm describing. Mozart, this famous and brilliant genius composer, uh, and I want to confess that I really enjoy listening to Mozart. Uh, there is a particular piece of Mozart's that has been proven to increase your short-term IQ just by listening to it, your IQ goes up by five or six points just by listening to this piece. What might he have written, though, if self-control and meekness had been applied to his otherwise arrogant, presumptuous pridefulness? What lives, what gifts, what influence represented by the people within the sound of my voice today? Think about that. Might be squandered over the next 15 years, say, by the absence of meekness and self-control control. 
Listen to your pastor now. Let me talk to young people. You decide if you're in that category. The constant temptation of youth is to believe that discipline, limitations, and control will hinder the fruitful manifestations of your gifts and graces. That's the temptation of youth. Oh, what I could have been if I didn't have all these restraints. What I could accomplish if my parents would just leave me alone. Let me put this statement on the screen. It's, it's critically important you hear it. Life without limits always hinders creativity and productivity. Always hinders creativity and productivity. Discipline is actually the key to creativity and not the hindrance to it. Learn self-control and you will learn the full use of your gifts for the good of mankind and the glory of God. Learn it. Fail at this point. Self-control, discipline, and meekness and lie a wasted hulk, potentially, at the end of your days. Discipline, self-control, meekness is critically important to fulfilling your potential and realizing your capacity. Well, let's get into the outline. Here's the first thing. It's the, it's the same first point we've made throughout this series on the fruit of the Spirit. And today we, we say meekness and self-control and the character of God. How do we find this? Now, let me just say again, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power and strength under control. Now hear that. It is therefore necessarily linked to self-control. Meekness is power and strength under control. Jesus is on the cross. He's a perfect model of these fruits. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He said from the cross. He's before Pilate. And what does the Bible say about his few moments in front of Pilate during the trial? He opened not his mouth. Too often we think of Jesus as this poor, weak little man with a little ewe lamb on his shoulders, you know, ch little children running around his feet. And he's led powerless somehow before his accusers and executioners. Nothing could be further from the truth. Got a, a really bad pers perspective on who Jesus is. Let me, let me put this statement on the screen. This directly pertains to Jesus and it pertains to us. You cannot manifest the fruit of meekness until you are in a position of power. So as you study the last week of Jesus' life, you realize he's in utter and total control of everything. He's controlling everything. The pitiful people around Jesus' last hours are simply playing out this drama at his feet while he stands as the colossus of the ages. His hands were bound. Why? Because he presented them to be bound. They pressed a crown of thorns on his head. How, why? How? Because he presented his head for that treatment. They drove spikes into his hands and feet because he presented his body for death. However, we know from the cross, even there, Jesus could have snapped his fingers and summoned ten legions of angels, blowing those spikes out of his hands and feet immediately, overwhelming in an instant the, all of the armies of Rome, just not the few guys standing around, hurling the members of the Sanhedrin into the outer, outer darkness. He could have done all of that in a moment and then said, now, there you know my strength. Now you know who I am. This is what Gethsemane was all about. The prayer session in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of the betrayal. 
Jesus proved his strength by being crucified to his strength. Not my will, but thine be done. Thy strength be perfected in my weakness. This is meekness and self-control in ultimate display. Because you can't manifest either unless you're in a position of power. Jesus was in a position of ultimate power and authority. He surrendered it all. Can you imagine Jesus throwing a fit when you come to him for forgiveness? Lord Jesus, please, I finally come to my senses. I've come to my, my sanity. I've come to this conclusion. I've come to this crossroads moment of my life. I want to I be forgiven of my sins. I'm sorry for everything I've done wrong. I want to be right with God. Would you please forgive me? Jesus said, oh, I don't know. You know, you've been such a snot lately. Not sure if I want to forgive you or not. Well, you, I will go to heaven, won't I? Well, I'm not sure. I haven't decided that yet. Don't know what I'm going to do with you. Kind of an unusual case. Well, you, you, will, you will honor all your promises, won't you? Well, I will if I don't change my mind. Depends on how I'm feeling that day. See, because God has the power and the authority and the right to totally destroy us, and he could, just like that. We see that meekness and self-control is at the very heart, the very nature of the character of God. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he's in control of himself? Aren't you glad that he has chosen to be meek, merciful, and patient by placing all of his power, authority, and strength under control? God restrains his power. This is meekness. Think about a a mother lion. Um, the cub jumps on her with all of his might, with all of his force. He, he, he chews on her, on her arm, you know, with all of his strength and his bite strength, and she restrains her strength. She plays with the cubs to provide for them instruction and safety. She carries those cubs around by the nape of their neck. I mean, th think about that. This is quintessential meekness. It's the ultimate example of meekness. This is power, strength under control. It's managed. Wow. So this is, this is what we learn as important virtues and the fruit of God in our lives. Let's uh, move to the second point. It's on your outline, the fruit of meekness and self-control. Um, what is the fruit of it? What does it look like in your life? What is the application of it in your life? Well, here's one. It will provide you a quiet trust in God. Quiet trust in God. Now, don't underestimate this because life happens, doesn't it? Stuff happens. Evil happens. Life is full of it. And in spite of that, I have a quiet trust in God. I'll let God plead my case. I'll let God take care of it. If I'm wrongly oppressed, God will have the last word. If I'm wrongly accused, God will vindicate me. Uh, Joseph, for example, Old Testament model, Joseph, when falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, who falsely accused him of making sexual advances to her, simply said, this is in the text, he said meekly, God will have the last word on this. God will decide. God will judge between her accusation and my integrity. 
I have lost count of the number of times over 40 years now when people in the community, people in our congregation have approached me and said to me so many words, the way you're leading this church is wrong. One person, as far as what you're allowing to happen, is demonic. I said, well, God will have to judge between you and me about this issue. If we go that direction, it's, just, it's the wrong thing to do. Maybe. Maybe it's the wrong thing to do. But God will have to judge because we're going that way. I'm the leader, we're going that way. It's interesting, isn't it? You have choices to make as a leader in moments like that. All kinds of choices. But it's best, and I've not always chose rightly or well or in a godly way, but it's always best to place a quiet trust in God. Let God decide. Let God judge. Let God sort that out. We'll see how that goes. Here's, here's a second thing that is a fruit of meekness and self-control in your life. You'll notice it if you overcome the root of bitterness. Roots of bitterness can spring up in a heart filled with meekness, cannot spring up in a heart filled with, think about it, meekness and self-control. If I, if I am placing my strength under control and I, and I have control of myself by the fruit of the Spirit, uh, I will not, I cannot allow the weakness of another person to overcome my strength, my self-control. This is the only way a root of bitterness can take in your heart is if you let someone else's weakness overcome your strength. And if you have the fruit of self-control, it just can't happen. Here's number three. We grow in our ability to reason and appeal to others and to teach. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, here the great apostle Paul is pleading with the church at Corinth. These, the church at Corinth had all kinds of problems, all kinds of sin manifesting. And, and one, of the, one of the reactions to the church at Corinth was, was that they were resisting Paul and his leadership and his opinion and his teaching and his authority as an apostle. And he's saying to them in 2 Corinthians 10 that he didn't want to have to come. Do I have to go there and demand that they respect, you know, my God-given office as a spiritual authority and an apostle? He said, look, I don't want to have to do that. Just submit yourself in humility and self-control to the authority God has placed. If you ever have to come to the place in your life where you, where you stand up in front of people and say, hey, hey, I'm the pastor. I'm the apostle here. Yeah, maybe you're confused. I'm the boss. Maybe you didn't know who runs this, but I'm the CEO around here. If you ever have to stand up and say that, you're probably not the leader anymore. It's the worst kind of leadership. The worst kind. I have a friend who actually, in the middle of a, of a worship service, pastor friend, who had placed in his bulletin that week a ballot. And during the service, he asked his congregation for a vote of confidence. <laughs> and so people said, do you, do you believe Pastor so-and-so should be retained as the past leader of the church, yes or no? And they all voted by secret ballot. Listen, if you have to take a vote of your congregation about whether or not you're the leader, you're not the leader anymore. You've already lost that somehow. Now, so so <laughs> we, we grow in our ability you know, officers training school in the United States military says that a ranking officer must never mention his rank. 
And the subordinate offer, officer ought never to forget it. So if I'm the superior officer, I don't say it out loud. And if I'm the underling submitted to that higher rank, I should never forget it. See, this is meekness and self-control at both ends. So we grow in our ability to reason and appeal and teach. Here's number four. Another fruit evidence is we grow in rest. Ambitious, striving people. It's never enough. It's never far enough, high enough, deep enough. It's never enough. It's not, the pile isn't big enough. The, these, are, these are folks who will wear you out. They will wear you to a frazzle. And those who understand the fruit of meekness and self-control will actually foster renewal in your life. So if you're, if, those, if you're in a place of authority, the people underneath you, you should watch for this. You should watch for whether or not they are renewed, encouraged, inspired, or they're just, they're just done. And this is, this is an indication that, that our leadership isn't meeting the expectation of the fruit of the Spirit. Because folks will actually grow and rest around leaders who are meek and under control. There's, there's, there's a unique capacity there that happens along the way. Uh, number five, another fruit, evidence, is others will grow in grace. For example, fathers who grow in meekness will see their children develop self-control. A mother who grows in self-control will raise children who grow in meekness. Ephesians 6, 4, do not provoke your children to anger. This means to bring before your children a model of godliness as to not exasperate them by saying one thing and living another, you know, in a hypocritical life. This angers your children, confuses them. So a home out of control, without the fruit of self-control, will produce children without control or restraint. Don't have to go far to find children like that. Here's number six. The fruit of these wonderful uh, virtues of meekness and self-control will actually bring healing to the people around. In Numbers chapter 12, there's a very interesting story. This is, this is, uh, this is the account of Moses. Now, it's widely understood that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And so in Numbers chapter 12, here's a statement. And here's the, here's the statement from the text. And Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. <laughs> the meekest man on the face of the earth. Now we've already learned what meekness is. It's strength under control. This is a person who has absolute power and has it under control, self-control. Moses, writing about himself, says, Moses is the meekest man on the face of the earth. It's fascinating, isn't it? Now, many suggest this is a good argument for the fact that Moses didn't write the Pentateuch. Well, if he had written it, he wouldn't be saying that about himself. I mean, that's just outrageous. Actually, it can be explained in one of two ways. First, either Moses was an egotistical, self-centered tyrant. I mean, he's just completely self-inflated and he's willing to brag about even the highest levels of virtue <laughs> in some kind of false pretense, and so he's just nuts. Or, second, if he was the meekest man on the face of the earth, what does that mean? Well, who was this guy? 
Well, if it's strength under control, think about who Moses was. Moses could have very easily said, listen, uh, rather than just describing me as the meekest man on the face of the earth, let me just give you my, my resume. These are kind of the top issues on my resume. I have authority. I know that because I speak with God face to face. Done this for decades on a daily basis. I talk to God face to face. God actually handed me the law, the Ten Commandments, written on stones by his own finger, by the finger of God. I, if you'll remember, I'm the one that carried those tablets down off of the mountain. I was on the mountain with God. When I came down there, my hair had turned white because I dwelt so, so often in the presence and glory of God. And by the way, I was his chosen prophet, his deliverer, and his leader of an entire nation. God used me to extricate the entire nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, which had occurred for 400 years. I mean, it took a series of 10 miracles that God performed through my life in order to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. And frankly, I'll be referred to throughout history and probably throughout eternity, or at least until Jesus comes back, by everybody on the face of the earth. I'm Moses. I mean, the guy had a resume. Would you agree? And so here he is, but he saw his position of authority with wonderful perspective. God was responsible for all of it. He knew it. He understood it. He got it. Moses said, look, I get it. And because of that, I'm the meekest man on the face of the earth. I know this has nothing to do with me, not, nothing to do with my power, nothing to do with my ability. This has everything to do with God's power and strength which he has manifested in and through my life, and I am submitted to him. I have it under control. Miriam and Aaron, uh, siblings of Moses, were upset with Moses on one occasion because he had married a Cushite woman. Well, Moses is Middle Eastern. He's brown, and the Cushites were from Africa. They're black. So Moses, a brown-skinned guy, married a woman with black skin, and this offended Miriam and Aaron. His siblings, you know, different culture, different race, so they weren't happy about this. And they didn't like it. And so therefore they questioned Moses' authority. Maybe you're not the leader anymore. Go marry that Cushite woman. And so they questioned him. And Miriam, God didn't like it. Miriam became leprous. Because God's anger burned against her for challenging his designated leader. Now let me just say this out loud. Isn't it funny what people will try to use against you when the real issue is that they want to be the boss? When they actually want to be in control? There, I said it. What was Moses' response? Was he angry? Was he insistent? Hey, you recognize my authority here. I'm the, I'm the boss here. Was he selfish about it? No, no. He prayed for Miriam's healing. What a wonderful example of the healing property of meekness and self-control. This is a powerful example of it. I wonder what our reaction might have been. I wonder what my reaction would have been. It's interesting that Moses was quicker to express healing than God was. It's interesting. Moses said, please, God, heal my sister. She, she, she got confused about who, who, who you have designated as a leader. She, you know, she's always wanting to be the boss, but... I know you've appointed me, and she got confused about that. She kind of lost her way and used this as a reason to attack me. And please heal her. She's a good person. Heal her. Here's what God said. Nope, put her out of the camp for seven days first. 
Moses is more gracious toward, toward Miriam than God was because he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. And then he demonstrates it. Here's number seven. The fruit of these wonderful, wonderful gifts, is it allows God to act because I'm out of the way. God can act because I'm out of the way. Well, I don't know. I could talk a long time about that. Let's go to the third uh, point for this message, bring it in for a landing. How do I increase meekness and self-control? Maybe you're wondering about this. And could I just say, especially for those of you who have significant roles of leadership in your family, your business, in a ministry somewhere, you're climbing the ladder, you're moving up in the ranks, and you know that the number of people that you manage and the people that have the influence of your life, this is, this is a huge, this is a huge issue in effective godly leadership. So how can I increase levels of meekness and self-control? Number one, submit to Christ. Submit to Christ. I cannot grow in meekness and self-control why I am in control of my own will. Settle that once and for all. Ask yourself the question, am I submitted to Christ? Will I do anything he asks me to do? Will I submit to his will? Am I under his control? It's a very important question. Is there anything or anyone you wouldn't turn loose of if God asked you to? It's a hard question. That's what it means to submit to Christ and his will for your life. As you do that, meekness and self-control will come. Here's number two. Submit to the natural authority in the name of Christ. In other words, the men and women that God has placed over you in the structures of your life. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a bishop. God, God puts all of us under authority. And so we have to learn how to manage that submission to the authority that God has placed in the structures of our life. Number three, I refuse to use whatever power is mine to hurt, strike back, execute vengeance. Down to that phrase, do no harm. Do no harm. I refuse to use whatever power is mine to hurt someone. And that just, that's just a value that you keep in place. And you, and you try to manage, especially when you have leadership. Number four, be slow to defend yourself. Slow. Resist the temptation to defend yourself. This is a great challenge. I know, I know I'm right. I know I have the high ground. I know that I have a righteous position. They're, I'm right, and they're wrong. Resist the temptation to defend yourself. Resist it. Nothing good comes from a defensive posture like that. It just doesn't add value. doesn't bring redemptive activity to relationship or to systems. Be slow to defend yourself. One of my, one of my rules of thumb is I don't respond to criticism 
in the first 24 hours, unless it's right in my face and I'm expected to say something. If I get a, a note or a letter or an email or some kind of text or something like that, that's of a critical nature, my rule of thumb is never respond to that in the first 24 hours. Give it some time so that you can gain yourself. I have written many, many, many personal handwritten notes over the years. Hundreds, probably thousands. Yay, thousands. I have written this line in many, many personal notes. When I simply say, I'm sorry for whatever pain I have caused you. I have discovered on my very best days, I fail miserably which is absolutely true. And so I resist the temptation to defend myself and I try to put myself in a position of humility. This is called meekness and self-control. I'm not very good at it, but I think I'm growing in it as the years pass. Be slow to defend yourself. Number five, if meekness is the fruit of Jesus, then the way to be filled with meekness is to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. And indeed, that's who you want in your life. Invite the Spirit of Jesus into your heart, into your life, into your mind, into your relationships, into your leadership, so that meekness and self-control can be a dynamic fruit that influences people in Jesus' name. Well, these are the fruit of the Spirit. Let me just summarize. These are not in place to hamper your life, hinder your life, restrict your life, restrain your life. These are in place to bring fullness to your life, fruitfulness to your life, to magnify your life, to expand your life, to enlarge your life, to uh, bring adventure to your life. This is the motive of God, to cultivate his nature and character in our lives. And as we find the fruit of the Spirit cultivated and growing in our lives, we will see abundance not only of personal fulfillment and relationships, but also influence in the world around, in the lives of others. And this is what honors and pleases God. So be encouraged. Receive the Holy Spirit. Allow the fruit of the Spirit to be cultivated in your heart. Let's pause and pray. Lord, I know uh, there are people today listening in who need to be filled with the spirit of self-control. They need to be filled with the spirit of meekness, need to be filled with the spirit of Jesus. Probably there are people within the sound of my voice today who are struggling to overcome a bad temper, struggling to overcome that explosive anger, the tendency to retaliate, be vengeful, to hurt, strike back. There are people within the sound of my voice today who don't want meaningful relationships and their own creativity and the influence God's give, given them in the lives of others to be hampered or even destroyed by a lack of the spirit of meekness and self-control. So Lord, today we, we look to Jesus who is the ultimate example of meekness, who had ultimate authority, ultimate power, 
and yet placed his strength under strength. And we see Moses, who obviously could have responded in so different ways, but instead chose to be meek, self-controlled. What a powerful ability. What a godly capacity. What an amazing influence it can be when we are meek, self-controlled. So Lord, fill us with your spirit today. Help us to receive of these fruits to the end that we would be blessed and that you would be pleased. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name we ask. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Now, we want to be helpful to you in practical ways if we can. If you use your smartphone, if you'll just text us a message, one, two, three, go, one, two, three, go to the number nine, four, zero, zero, zero. There's a menu of options there that you can respond to. Just check one of those, send it to us. We'll be in touch with you and we'll help you any way we can. And so in all these ways, we want to be a blessing in your life. So be encouraged and God bless you. We'll see you soon.